episode of the Brains Bike Bat podcast, we are once again joined by Michael Pushkar, a serial entrepreneur, data scientist, investor, philanthropist, and founder of NPCX. Longtime listeners of the show will be familiar with Michael, as he was previously on in February 2020. In today's episode, Michael gives us an update on Zeotag, which we heavily discussed in the previous episode together. He also talks about his new focus, NPCX, and its goal to enhance realism in video games. And finally, Michael talks about his charity initiatives, where he supports children, young mothers, and helps raise awareness about mast cell syndrome. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, Michael. I know you were on the show a few years ago, but for those who are new, can you share a brief background on the work you've done in the past and what you're working on today, please? Sure, Sam. It's really great to be back. Well, my background's in artificial intelligence. I've been doing that for about 30 years. I'm also a serial entrepreneur. I've had three successful exits, the most recent of which was actually in May 2023. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But really, my background has been in natural language processing and, and neural networks and deploying artificial intelligence to uh, really innovate and, and create a technology that improves the lives of everybody. Uh, and what's happened in the last 10 years is it used to be uh, most most of the work that I've done and the patents that I have from the 90s and, and, and shortly after that, the decade after that, you know, that work, really, we knew how to do AI. We couldn't actually do it because we didn't have enough computing power. So it was more of all theoretical and, and AI was really something for science fiction. What's happened in the last five years is with the advent of, of cloud computing and computing power and the explosion of data that's been available. You now, I've been able to, to, to take that and launch a, a series of products and build some really interesting technology. And, and that's sort of what I've been up to. And AI really, I think everybody knows, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, is <laughs> really changing and touching the lives of everyone who's walking this earth right now. Well, thank you for coming back on. I really enjoyed our conversation last time. And you have such a wealth of knowledge of so many different topics. But one of the one of the topics we discussed last time on the show was Zeotag, and I knew that was something that you were working on then. Can you give us an update on Zeotag now? So for your listeners and uh, for entrepreneurs, Zeotag is an interesting case study in, uh, in what can happen if you're starting a business. And you can have everything lined up, and, and it could be very successful, and it could still not succeed. So Zeotag uh, really enjoyed that group of people that I work with. For those who, who didn't hear the first episode, Zeotag used artificial intelligence to make videos more interactive. So in other words, how many times has someone said to you, hey, Sam, here's a video. Check this out. It's really cool. And you open it, and it's five hours long. And you say, oh, I don't have five hours to watch this video. What we would do is we would use artificial intelligence to process that video and automatically create a table of contents and categorization so that I could see in the video chapters and sections and know exactly what each section was about. So I could jump to a very specific part in the video and, uh, and, and artificial intelligence to facilitate that. What happened with Zeotech, unfortunately, is generative AI transformer neural networks. Uh, ChatGPT has really disrupted so many industries and businesses without even wanting to. So, you know, we invented that technology. It was the technology to create that table of contents and to do content classification. And we weren't the only ones. Of course, we were doing it in video. But content classification has been a big industry. Content classification, for those who don't know, is taking unstructured text, just big blocks of text, running it through an algorithm, and being able to say, this is about sport. This is about science, biology, cancer research, whatever, right? So 
<laughs> so that's content classification. Well, ChatGPT and, and OpenAI, when they, when they created this, this AI engine, has the ability to do that by default. In other words, it wasn't built to do that. It can do things that uh, you know it wasn't even intended to do. So now you could go to ChatGPT, open up a chat window, drop in a video transcript and say, give me five topics from the Library of Congress that uh, are basically what this uh, transcript is about. And it'll give it to you. And it'll do it with a 99% level of precision. In one fell swoop, swoop, ChatGPT destroyed what was a really amazing business model. So it, it's interesting. And then we're not the only one. So um, this is what they call, this is a feature, not a product. You know, this is what happens a lot of times in entrepreneurship when you create something that's really amazing, you think you have a product, but it turns out just to be a feature in someone else's product. And, and so unfortunately, I, I'm not working with Zeotag anymore. Uh, that company still is sort of out there and kind of transforming itself into something else, but uh, that's where we're at. Yeah, I've said this before on the show, but it is crazy how chat gpt works its way into like almost every conversation that i have here with my guests it is exactly like what you said it's disrupted so many errors it is it's incredible to talk about but on the topic of zeotag i did want to say i understand that you were awarded a patent uh relating to the uni unique natural processing engine that you developed for video transcripts i mean first of all congratulations like can you talk us through how this patent came to fruition Thank you very much. And, you know, patents have almost become uh, out of uh, <laughs> out of style, right? Uh, folks don't necessarily go for patents anymore uh, like we did back uh, 10, 20 years ago. But I think they're very important. Once you get a patent in a technology, you know, no one can ever take that away from you. Uh, so I would encourage everyone, uh, entrepreneurs and technologists alike, to pursue patents aggressively and to try to accumulate them. So this particular patent is my third. And I'm very proud of it. And it's about being able to take just massive amounts of unstructured uh, data, but from uh, libraries and books and automatically use those libraries and books to create taxonomies for content classification. So that sounds like a lot of gobbledygook. Let me see if I can try to make it more mundane. So when, when you're trying to create a structure, a categorization structure in any way, let's just say that Wikipedia has their own structure, for example, and so forth. Uh, it's very difficult, it's very time consuming. You have to start with, okay, Science. The next structure down might be might be research. Next might be cancer research and science. Next might be you know something else in oncology. It's a very time-consuming process, and you need subject area experts. So the best subject area experts you could possibly get are from people who wrote the reference books and in academia. So my idea was basically to go off into ResearchGate and other types of uh, academia and scientific publishing and take pub, uh, papers that people have already written and use those to discern a structural sort of where for content to be classified. And why that matters for your listeners is just that when you, whether you're uploading a podcast or you're writing a new book or you know, you're publishing a blog post, you always wanna have those nice little hashtags around to kind of describe what something's about. So what this will do is basically, it can automatically discern based on what is written, what the topical metadata is, and therefore hopefully giving you bunch more hashtags, a bunch more categorization links and driving more traffic. So that's what it is in a nutshell. Uh, it was it was difficult to develop. And of course, I'm not the only author on that on that patent. So uh, but I'm very proud of what we're able to do there. Yeah, and so you should be. I think that a patent just sounds so formal. It sounds so official. It's uh, it's very impressive. 
Um, so that's really cool. That's a cool, cool little uh, achievement there. And now the next topic I want to discuss, I have to admit, I really don't know much about this. So I'm super excited to learn from you, really. Can you tell us about NPCX? Absolutely. So NPCX is my latest venture. And I'm proud to announce that, that just this week, we received a $1.5 million investment from Kakao Investment, which is a, a company based out of Seoul, South Korea, uh, as, as part of our seed round. So what NPCX does is it creates more realism in video games than animated film. So for years, you know, we've been playing video games and we're used to AAA titles like Call of Duty and how you run your character around. It's pretty normal, right? I mean, you know, they, they, it's a video game. It's clearly a video game, but the characters look like human characters and they move and they fire a gun and they'll dunk a basketball and those types of things. What NPCX technology does is it models the character's movement and intelligence. So we can talk about that a little bit later, but start with the movement based on real human movements. So you take the movements of actors on a motion capture stage and you run them through neural networks. And then frame by frame, when characters move in video games, you base it on what the neural network tells you is that it's smooth rather than what, you know, the character would normally do, which is, you know, based on some if then else loop. So for example, if I'm running towards a wall in Call of Duty, you will see your character will run at full speed towards that wall. Then once they hit the wall, they kind of like are leaning against it and their arms and legs are still moving as if they're running. Anybody who's played a video game knows exactly what I'm talking about. Well, if you're using NPCX's technology, as you ran towards the wall, what would happen? Well, there's a wall there. You would throw your hand, you would start to slow down, you would bend your knees, you would throw your arms up, and you would brace yourself and you would sort of. So, what we're moving towards with NPCX, and there's a number of different products, but, but this one in particular is video games that are so realistic, it's like watching animated film. That's basically where we're going. And uh, that has profound impacts across the yeah this is something that i've never really considered and i do know exactly uh what you're talking about as a former teenager that was obsessed with call of duty i <laughs> I, I do know what you what you mean there and i'm really interested to know like what really excites you about this technology but also what are your concerns because it sounds like it could be the start of some sort of black mirror concept yeah no you're absolutely right i mean Unfortunately, humans in general tend to run faster than uh, ethics. And, and that's something that we're very conscious of at NTCX. I mean, you could take anything, uh, whether it's pharmaceuticals or it's uh, Wi-Fi radiation or AI. Uh, typically, you, through entrepreneurship, you're incentivized to go out and build and let, you know, let the consequences sort of deal with those later. But unfortunately, with artificial intelligence, this concept could be catastrophic, right? So some of the things we're doing at NPCX, so being able to create these, this kind of realistic motion, being able to copy other people's motion and other people's kind of avatars and characters. And then a, another technology that we're dealing with called behavioral cloning. So behavioral cloning, ha, have you ever played a video game and uh, you're supposed to be playing with your friend and then calls you at the last minute and says, hey, look, I've got a date with my wife. So I just didn't realize I had it. I'm so sorry, I can't play. Now you're short of player. With NPCX, what we're doing is observing players in the real world as they play the game or as they do sort of mundane tasks. For example, a burster at a bar or librarian or whatever you want to, want to say. And we observe them for a long period of time, everything that they do in the world. And then we clone them into the game or into the metaverse. So in that particular case, what would happen? Uh, oh, you can't play, no problem. I'll play with your clone. 
And that clone would play and interact every way like you. So that has some really great, you know, great impacts in terms of business. You know, we could create a marketplace of clones. We could start to be able to have the ability, you know, to, to, to play with esports players. Somebody you've always wanted to play with, play with their friends when they're not online. But I want you to think about this sort of broad, broadly, and this is sort of the ethical sort of dilemma here. We now know through deepfakes that we can copy and create images of videos of people that are hyper-realistic, right? And at these sense, it's developing technology kind of tangentially related to that too. We know that we can clone voices. Uh, I, I, your audience might be familiar with the Joe Rogan pod, AI podcast that's out there where the fake Joe Rogan that AI is interviewing fake personalities um, and, and AI voice is getting to the point where it's just amazing. We know through ChatGPT that we can have conversations with you know, give me a response as if you're Donald Trump, right? Now, if you add the ability to then take them in the real world and use this behavior of cloning technology and move them into the virtual world, you get to the point where, unless you see something face-to-face, -face, you're not gonna know, you know, whether it's uh, it's real or not. And I know that sounds like hyperbole. I know that sounds like, like I'm being traumatic. I, I'm not. Are we there now? No, we're not. We're close. We're not there. But we will be there in our lifetimes, probably within the next decade. And if we don't start to consider the sort of ethical ethical matters now, if we don't get in front of them, then uh, we're going to be dealing with the consequences of later. And those consequences could be disastrous. Yeah, it does sound quite scary. And I have actually seen though the, the Joe Rogan uh, interviews that you mentioned, and it, it puts a bit of fear in me just because I know I put hundreds of hours of uh, content out there and podcasting. So I can imagine it would be super easy to do something like that with my voice um absolutely yeah but you know what um it's it's the risk i take but nonetheless um it is it is quite a, a scary concept um but again it, there's so many things it, with technology that i have definitely learned from this podcast and essentially it always boils down to the same thing that like technology is a tool and it depends on how you use it or who the person the intent of the person or people that are are using it and this seems like uh, along the same lines um but i am yeah, I'm excited to see what comes from this. That would be really interesting. And now I wanted to move on to um, the next section, really, of what I wanted to speak about. And that's your the the work that we're doing with charities. So like, I know in addition to your for-profit work, you are the co-founder of the Mast Cell Research Institute and have founded several other nonprofit groups in Colombia that support early childhood education, either through the donation of technology or providing childcare services for single mothers who were unable to complete their education. Now, can you share with us what drove you to support these causes and maybe some examples of how these projects have made uh, an impact in their communities? Right, well, you know, I, I think we're all obligated uh, as entrepreneurs uh, and as we have success to give back to the communities that we're in. If you think about just uh, the successes that we have, what we take advantage of on our day-to-day basis to be able to do our jobs, the roads that we drive on, the people that we interact with. And we, we, there's a support network in, in terms of our community that uh, that really enables us to be able to do our jobs. And so I firmly believe that giving back to the community is, is, is obligatory, honestly. And frankly, when you have a company and you do this charity work and your employees, you know, at, at Oiga, which is a company, the company I sold in, in May, 2023, the employees were given one day of vacation per year to do additional work in the community. And we would guide that. We would take them out to some of these charities that you mentioned. And, you know, they get a chance to see their, their, their boss there 
in a different environment, maybe, you know, button down a little bit, doing some really great things in their communities. And they get to say, wow, this company not just cares about me as an employee, they care about my community. And it's powerful, Sam. I mean, it's really powerful. I mean, people really come to me years later after I've sold companies and they say, Michael, I mean, the work that we, we did, but because remember we went and we did that community event and that was so rewarding. So, so I think it's rewarding and, and all across the board. And, and I think it's something that we all should be doing if we're entrepreneurs. So I, we're doing a, a bunch of things. There's three kind of categories. One is working with children. So when I was 11 years old, uh, my parents come from a very humble family. We didn't have any money. Wanted a personal computer, begging my dad every day. Dad, can I have a bag? You didn't have any money. Well, we ended up getting a, like a yard sale, a used Commodore 64 piece of crap, if I could say so. And I was 11 years old, completely changed my life. I taught myself how to program. I educated myself and uh, well, I'm here now. And, and I wouldn't be here to listen to that moment. So I, I, I said to myself, if I can put computers into the hands of kids at that same age who didn't otherwise have one, how many lives can I change? And by the way, if I can just change one life, that's enough. I mean, just, just, just making that back to one life is, is, is enough, right? But, but how many lives can I change? So we embarked through my, uh, my charity, which was called Oiga Cares. It's now been absorbed into 10 Pearls, the company that acquired Oiga, and it's called the Empower Foundation. But we embarked upon going to schools in what they call invasiones here in Colombia. They're basically neighborhoods that shouldn't be neighborhoods. There were houses were built where they weren't zoned, they weren't allowed. And then later they sort of developed into communities and then the municipality doesn't want to take them down, right? And we would walk in with my employees and we'd install computers in the schools. And we teach the kids how to use them, we teach the, the teachers how to use them. And then we were giving kid, uh, school, kids uh, computers to kids just to take home. I mean, kids would cry. They would cry. Well, first thing they would do is log into the Facebook account. <laughs> Facebook account, which blows my mind. But no, they, or Instagram or whatever it is, uh, Twitter. But they, they uh, it really, you know, had a profound impact. So, so that's important to me. And then you asked about some of the other issues. We're, we're doing work with, with young women who get pregnant early. I, I think that's important too, because if a woman gets pregnant at 15 or 16, she can't finish her education. And then what life is she going to have? So if we can provide childcare services to that woman, and then she could go out and finish her education, at least she's got a chance, right? She's got a chance. The Mass Cell uh, Research Institute, that's uh, a different initiative. That has to do with um, a disease that is sort of a hidden epidemic that most don't know about it. And I came to know about it by an entrepreneur named Ryan Stevens, a brilliant guy, based out of Southwest Florida. Really became a good friend of mine. I love that guy, like a brother. And he had this disorder and it's just, most people don't know about it. So um, we could talk a little bit more about that if you'd like, but, but basically it was about bringing awareness to it and, and uh, talking about ways that, that folks can get treatment. Well, first be aware that this is the problem that they have because it can be very nefarious and it's difficult to diagnose. And then once you have it, being able to actually treat it. Yeah, what what is it? I'm not familiar with it and I'm not sure if our listeners might be. I, I'd be interested to know a bit more about it. So not a scientist, but it's effectively an autoimmune disorder. And it, it, it creates a lot of impacts on your day-to-day -day life. It makes you tired and sluggish, uh, headaches, depression is one of the, the symptoms. And so if I kind of rattle through the symptoms of this, you would say, okay, that could be this, that could be that. I mean, you know, it's not obvious that it's, that it's mast cell syndrome. But in fact, uh, millions of people in the United States, for example, have mast cell syndrome and, and they're not diagnosed with it. And the thing is, once you are diagnosed with it, 
then it becomes very easy to treat. There is a, a supplement that's over the counter called quercetin phytosome, which uh, is you know kind of part of it. Again, uh, getting on the phone with a, a scientist and he can walk you through sort of the, like the pharmacokinetics of how it works. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know it's it's first you need to make people aware that it exists and if they're having some of these symptoms and we can go, go to the mast cell research website and take a look and we've got a lot of information up there and then once it's diagnosed i mean so ryan stevens you know, my good friend who uh is uh, kind of he's the founder of the institute he uh he had and he was basically he would have days where he was inoperable he couldn't even get out of bed and uh after it was treated once he figured out what he had and he solved it uh now you know uh he's just He's, he's fine. He's, you know, he's like uh, completely, the, the process was completely went away. And so if we, can, again, you're talking about like whether it's children or women or children, if you can go into the lives of someone, reach in deep and take them out of a dark place where they are and pull them out and, and help them, then, uh, then that's a beautiful, beautiful thing and a very rewarding thing, by the way. Yeah, that's that's very inspiring. And I have to say, um, going back to what you mentioned about your own story and own experience of getting your first computer, that was really wonderful. I didn't know that about uh, you, but it's wonderful that it's had this domino effect uh, on your life and your actions. And like you mentioned there uh, about your friend Ryan, he, it does seem like from my experience that um, anyone that I've known that's dealt with kind of chronic illness or chronic pain, there is this turning point when they're able to actually put a label on it. Um, yeah. That seems like a really pivotal moment. Um, so I completely get what you mean there. Even if I haven't experienced it myself, it's definitely something that I've seen. Uh, so it it's fantastic to hear that you're doing such great work in such diverse areas. I really hope that you're able to to continue this. And that kind of leads me on to my next question. I want to know, like, what is next for you? Like, what are you working on for the future, Michael? Well, so I like to use the analogy of baseball. You only get so many at-bats, right? And uh, when you're in your 20s and, and 30s, First, you start off and you're working for another company, you're learning as much as you can. Then you start your entrepreneurship experience and you probably start with some failures and it's disheartening. And then you maybe have some successes if you're lucky. By the way, entrepreneurship is hard. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I just sold Oiga May 2023. Starting a company is very, very difficult. Getting it from survivability to significance is even more difficult. In other words, making it a profitable enterprise. And then taking it through the exit, unbelievably hard. So for the people out there who can do that, I mean, great admiration for them. It's a lot of hard work, but you know, you only get so many shots to do that in your life. And so where I am, I think I've got maybe one or two more at-bats left. <laughs> so uh, with with Oiga now sold and NPCX out there, I really, I really plan to double down and focus on NPCX. I, I think it's a chance to. It's technology that's being developed by a number of different people, and the ethics are so profound that I really believe that. I want to be the one who, uh, who gets first to market with, with this technology because uh, the person who gets first to market really is going to have a chance to define the ethics and, and how you know, got the, the creative board of governance and really uh, think about the impacts of this on society. So NPCX is very important to me, but I'm also uh, working on my nonprofit work, focused on my family. I have five kids and uh, I, I'm doing investing. So I have a family office. It's called the Pushkar Boratika Family Office. Uh, my wife, Joanna Boratika, and what we do is it's a, a faith-driven family office, and we invest in the community, and we invest in small businesses. So uh, it's you know early early stage companies, less than uh, you know before revenue typically. So 
hopefully my wife runs the charity sort of arm of the business and I run the, the arm of the business that invests in, in small startups. What I'm hoping to do is sort of do my work on NPCX, build an amazing product that we could bring to market, hopefully change uh, video games, how they're made and played and animated film. And then on the investment side, it takes, when I was younger, there were a lot of mentors there for me. A lot of people helped me along the way. Hopefully I could be there, help some folks and build their companies and, and get them bootstrapped and started and be successful. And so that's my goal. That's a fantastic goal. And I, yeah, you're, you're doing so much. I mean, just like the idea of keeping it going is, is just ambitious in itself because you literally have done so much. Uh, it's so cool to see, and it's always so wonderful chatting with you. Um, last question before you go, and this will probably resonate with the listeners that have heard the, the last episode that we spoke on. And if not, hopefully inspires them to go check it out. But have you been in any more plane crashes since we last spoke? <laughs> You know, it's so interesting, Sam, because uh, someone created a Wikipedia page. Okay, I don't know who did it. Is it. There's some stuff on there. There's some good stuff, bad stuff. I, I don't know. But, you mm -hmm. know, you, I've done, I have done, you know, I've created and sold three companies. I've had some successes, had some failures, have all these charities. The top thing at the top of that page is the plane question. But everybody wants to talk about when they meet me and so forth. I have not, thankfully. And I, and I like to say, if you've been in a plane crash once, statistically, what's the chance of, uh, of being in another one, right? So I think... Probably with me is actually one of the safest things that you could possibly do. <laughs> that is, yeah, I mean, you, you'd like to think that. I mean, um, no no plane crashes is great, but certainly if you get one under your belt, then yeah, you'd, you'd like to think that what are the chances exactly? Wow. <laughs> oh, honestly, Sam, the, the truth is, as, as a statistician and data scientist, the truth is the chances of having another plane crash are exactly the same as the first one. But I'd like to trick myself. I'm going to play, play tricks on us, right? <laughs> Mm hmm. Mm hmm. No, I, I get that. Um, and to be honest, I just try and push the thought of any kind of plane crash out of my mind. That's why it's crazy yeah. that I, like having spoken to you that you've been in one. I mean, my dad is a flight attendant. He's been flying for years and he's never experienced anything like that. So that also gives me a lot of encouragement as well. The fact that he flies almost every day and he's fine. So it, it's OK. But I mean, just chatting to someone like yourself who has experienced one, it's like statistically, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah it yeah. is it really is uh-huh but um okay so michael if people are listening to this and they want to keep up to date with you and the work you are doing what is the best way for them to do that so i have uh the, the family office it's uh family uh it, it'd be easier if you google on it uh, because the spelling is a little bit complicated but there we keep updated on some of our outreach into the community some of the investments that we're making and then for npcx it's just npcx like an npc dot ai and uh i think there'll be some really exciting announcements there in the next couple months fantastic excellent well we will include uh links to those in the show notes but again, Michael, as always, it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Sam, great pleasure speaking to you. As always, I really appreciate the invitation. That is it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've learned something. And if you have benefited from today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, as these reviews really help us grow the show. You can also follow us wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Just search Brainspike back and you will find us. We hope you join us for more episodes in the future. And until then, take care.